This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk Podcast, episode 99. I am Josh. With me is Mark. Good evening. And wait a minute. Chris is not with us tonight. Uh, Chris, so, you know, we plan these every week. We record on Thursday night. You know, a little peek behind the curtain here. We record on Thursday nights. And every week. And then today, this afternoon, we've got this big interview lined up with, with Don Wolf and Idris. And Chris texts about, he texts me this morning about 10 o'clock and says, he didn't text you, Mark. He, this was a direct between me and Chris. Chris says, hey, uh, I, I got to be in the Christmas parade tonight and I can't make the show. Are you mad? I'm like, Chris, come on, man. It's a Thursday night. So apparently Chris is in a Christmas parade tonight. I don't know. If he's playing Santa, I don't know if he's Buddy the Elf or what, but he is not with us tonight, and we I, th- I think we do a fine job without him. Um, but tonight is a very good episode. Mark, tell us who we have and, and what this conversation is about. So this is the third of a three-part series. So uh, just like I said last week, if you uh, if this is the first time you're listening, I recommend starting two episodes back where we interviewed the superintendent of Albuquerque, where he set the stage. In the last episode, we interviewed Tom, uh, Ryan, Lenny Shad about the need for cyber planning and, and the need for building the leadership. And then tonight, we interview Don Wolf and uh, Idris Davis, uh, both of them are CIOs from uh, medium-sized districts, Portland, Oregon, and uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, about what a cyber plan actually entails. And we really talked a lot about a risk assessment, what a risk assessment entails, and how that leads to a tangible cyber plan. So really good interview. I'm really excited about tonight and uh, really hope this help helps to kind of close out our cybersecurity series uh, with this interview. Before we get started, let's talk about Provision Data Solutions real quick. They are a one-stop shop. They'll sell networking gear, UPSs, uh, ClearPass. If you need, if you are in the Missouri market or Western Illinois area, they can help you with with anything you need infrastructure-wise. Give Ryan R at ProvisionDS.com an email and see if they can help you out. Enjoy the episode. We are here tonight with Idris Davis from St. Paul, Minnesota, and Don Wolf from Portland Public Schools. That's the Portland on the west coast of the United States, the original Portland, Maine. It's not that's not that Portland, but uh, we're still glad to have Don uh, and Idris tonight here to continue our series on cyber planning. And our focus tonight really is on how to build your cyber plan and what a cyber plan looks like for a district. So. Before we get into the meat of the conversation, let's just hear from uh, Idris. Uh, give us a little bit about your background, how you got into the job, and a little bit about St. Paul, and then we'll turn sure. over to Don. Sure. You know, I've been with St. Paul for about eight years now, uh, a little over eight years now, and uh, I wear two hats. Uh, one of the hats I wear is CIO, but the other hat I wear is Chief Information Security Officer, too, as well. Uh, I got into cybersecurity probably around nine years ago. I did a stint as a management consultant and uh, for the company I was working with, they had a breach 
And uh, I had all the fun in the world working on a breach. Um, had to bring in a, a third-party company, do a forensic investigation. And um, we had to put some uh, measures in place to uh, plug the gap. But that was like my first, you know, run into cybersecurity. I kind of stayed with cybersecurity when I uh, got the job over at St. Paul Public Schools. Um, got uh, a certification. I'm a certified information security manager for MySACA. Um, so, you know, I've been doing cybersecurity for over nine years, helped build a program there. We originally didn't start with a plan per se. We just kind of, we kind of, we kind of ran and built as we went. Um, you know, I like to get visibility. So one of the things that we initially did was we did do a pen test and we have a cybersecurity risk assessment. And then, um, we kind of, um, started looking at our tools and kind of built the tools and built a team off from there. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much my background. Don, how about you? So completely different route than, than Idris, uh, former classroom teacher, you know, been doing this for about 31 years. I, I came up before there were such things as networks and computers in the classrooms and um, that sort of thing, but kind of fell into, into technology as a, a passion that I found out that I liked and was reasonably okay at, apparently. I keep moving up into different leadership roles. Uh, got into the cybersecurity aspect. So here at Portland Public Schools, we're about 50,000 and dwindling. We're, you know, everybody's fluctuating in their ADM at this point, right? We're all, we're all watching the, the migration away. Um, about 10,000 employees when you include our contractors. Um, got into cybersecurity pretty heavily about seven years ago. We started watching, you know, the, the, the attacks ramp up and more dependency on, cloud-based technologies and internet-based resources in, in our schools. We should be paying attention to this. And then my now wife um, hung out her shingle as she was a technology professional, went out on her own and got her CISSP and was doing consulting and informed a lot of my thinking on, on how we approach this at schools. Uh, she's a whole lot smarter than me. And so I learned a ton from her doing that. She's, she's out of that field, but she still has that mindset. Um, and, you know, just watching where we're at, what, what is it, 1,400, 1,400 attacks on school districts since 2016? I think that is what Doug Levin's map currently shows. Um, and gosh, lucky us, there's, there's, no, there's no slowing down. So they're just going to keep coming and we're going to have lots of interesting work to keep, to keep ourselves busy with. I was I follow a couple infosec people on Twitter and, and specifically in the education realm of infosec and they were uh, posting earlier tonight that 2022 has now eclipsed 2021 for the number of known attacks and we all know that not every attack is published um, so yeah we we've I guess broken another record for known attacks on on k-12 for this this calendar year already um, which is kind of scary um, so I don't know and, and and again that's why we're having you guys on is okay what define that nebulous thing that is a cyber plan like Missouri there's a couple states that are starting to require these plans from school districts what does that exactly mean what what boxes do I check what what do I need to kind of gather up and and have ready to write this thing? Idris, you want to go first? I uh, don't know. I'll let you go first. Uh, well, it's 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 difficult, like in any other thing we plan for technology wise. In unless you know what problem you're trying to solve and what your risks are, 
it's kind of tough to build that roadmap. So if, if you haven't done an assessment, I, that'd be the first thing, bring in an outside party that knows what the heck they're doing and have them walk through your infrastructure and point out where you're, where you're high, extremely high, near-term, short, short-term and long-term fixes need to be because they're gonna let you know. Um, it's It's been interesting to watch the last couple of years, the insurance uh, providers around cybersecurity are being prescriptive and they're providing some pretty solid baseline um, requirements to be able to get insurance. But my first thing, the best thing I ever did uh, five years ago was at a former school district was brought in an outside vendor, got an assessment, and that was that formed the basis of what our cyber plan became. Uh, the, the second piece to that is is adopting that framework so you know how you're going to go about patching those and continue that continuous motion through those, whether it's NIST, whether it's um, the CSI, wh- whatever you want to do, but you have to have a framework to hang your work off of. Can define assessment for me. Do you mean uh, like an all-out pen te- internal pen test, an external vulner- vulnerability scan, uh, just an assessment on paper, like an interview nope. type process? What do, What do you mean? This when when I talk about a, a holistic assessment, I'm I'm talking about starting with pe- people, processes, and and the technology. So they're going to come in and they're going to look at our, what our policies are what protections we currently have in place, where we are, EDR, XDR, virus protection, patching updates. They're going to work through their prescribed framework that they use. Fortunately, the the two companies I've worked with have been NIST, but there's pen testing externally and internally vulnerabilities. They look at your firewall rules. All I mean, I'm talking about a, a complete holistic process that isn't just the technology pieces, but also the policies. Do you do you allow local admin passwords on your client devices? Who who has VPN access, and and how do they get to get to request that? And how do you determine that? Where where is your data mapping, and who has what, and and do you have data categorized, and how is that handled? So. It's it's it, it the last assessment we took took us about six months to complete because Holy they were there cow. very intensively, very extensively. They weren't in there six months every day. Right. But there was chunks of time and we've we've got a roadmap that is is hope what we thought was gonna be a two year process to kind of work through the at least the the high level elements to to, to remediate and continue to focus on is going to be more than that to be able to get through those just the critical list. So Idris, help, help me help me become comfortable with having this assessment done because I know just the the cohorts that I have that I talk to on a on a weekly basis, monthly basis. I I floated the idea of you know there's that new federal cyber grant out right now. I floated the idea of getting an internal pen test done with that, and and one of my cohorts quickly snap back he's like man that sounds like a really good way to get fired because you're gonna have this company come in do a scan give you a report that your suit that you will likely hand over to your superintendent and your superintendent's gonna say why are all of these things here like why aren't these already addressed why are these vulnerabilities here so help help the IT director or the IT guy listening to this episode be comfortable with opening those closet doors and and showing the dirt under the rug and you know the the not good things that they know exist in their environment yeah you know josh that's a really good point um the first thing i would say is that first you want to probably tell on yourself as soon as possible right um things tend to tend to go a lot easier if you tell on yourself too 
Um, you want to control the narrative. And it's hard to control the narrative if you don't have enough information, right? So one of the best things you want to do is get yourself informed as soon as possible. Um, the way to get that is to have a third-party independent company kind of come in that um, do this on a regular basis, um, kind of help you and provide that guidelines for you, and then be able to kind of walk you through uh, assessment. As Don mentioned, those are very intensive. I think our last one took about four months. Uh, we had 10 internal departments interviewed. Um, that was finance, HR, um, legal, and you know just a, a, a slew of different um, uh, departments to get interviewed around that too as well. So yeah, that would, that's what I would say. You want to control the narrative, and the only way you're going to be able to control the narrative is getting as much information as you can and being informed, and then be able to go ahead and talk about next steps. Um, but you know, Josh, this is really part of our job. Right. Right. Um, sure. The, 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 you know, the individuals that the leaders that put us in place, that's what they're expecting us. They're kind of expecting us to know us how to do our job. Um, who do we need to talk to? If we need to bring in outside, outside consultants, we should know how, you know, how to handle that, manage that uh, and be able to provide guidance. Um, other thing I found out, too, as well, is my leaders really listen more when I bring independent third party in. <laughs> You yes, you are absolutely right. Yes. So if if I will tell any leader, if you want additional support, um, get that get that third party to company come in and do an assessment for you. Um, it's just been amazing. I currently report to chief operations officer. We have just about what thirty four thousand students, um, just under six thousand employees, and um, you know those independent um, assessments have been great. Right? Um, they get them, they read them, and we can have that right. Um, I found a lot of times if I'm bringing information, you know, it's good. It just takes a little bit more for me to to get that 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 support. Um, but as soon as I'm bringing a report or assessment in, it's like, okay, no, we we kind of get it. Um, the other thing that I would suggest too, as well, is educate your leaders. Right? Um, you know, they may not always be educated on cybersecurity. My boss, the chief operations officer, did a really good job. Right? So she said, "Hey, I just got back from a forum. It was around cybersecurity. Let's talk." <laughs> <laughs> And that made my job a lot easier, right? And she said, wow, I did not know all this stuff is happening in cybersecurity, right? So, um, you know, not only inform yourself, but also uh, get your leaders out or or bring somebody in to kind of help inform your leaders so they can understand what's happening in cybersecurity. And you got to remember, cybersecurity just doesn't affect us at the school district. It affects us on our personal lives. I don't know about you, but I am right now, I'm probably dealing with about 60 different passwords. Oh, yeah. Bank accounts, financial statements, movie streaming movies, you name it, right? So, um, you know, we, we can be compromised in our individual lives too, as well. So it doesn't just affect cybersecurity uh, from a district standpoint; it affects everything too, as well. So that's that's my that's my uh, two cents to any leader: is say, hey, you want to get visibility as soon as possible. You want to help control the narrative, and then you want to be able to go in and have a um, a plan to go forward because that's what you know that's part of our job, and that's what we're putting in place to be able to go in. And be able to put that plan together, Josh. If, if I could, sorry, Mark, but but if I could, the other reason is is if you don't share that information with your superintendent and the leadership and your board of directors, you own all the risk by yourself. And Absolutely, you don't, you don't get to have any backing of anybody else if you're not informing them and making them aware of why you're at risk, where you're at risk, and the resources you need to do to remediate that risk. Well, and, and then if you do have that conversation, at least you're, with your senior leadership, if not your board, they can set the priority. Like right. you might have a thousand other things cooking, 
But if you share this report and your superintendent or your board of directors say, look, you've got to, the priority is now these three things. Great. That, that is my focus. That's my, that's my marching order. That's where we're going. Um, so it, I, I understand the concern behind, you know, letting, pulling back the curtain and letting them see in, in that dirty laundry kind of being aired, so to speak. Um, but I think it, it, it helps more than it hurts or it should anyway, in, in a, in a healthy the environment it should and don you made a really good point though around that this assessment can help you get the resources that we're trying to clamor for but now you have a third party coming in and saying here's some holes that you need to, to patch and so you know josh be- also want josh and mark also want to preface that too as well you you know as a leader hopefully you know your environment right um and some environments a lot easier to work in than others right so you know you have to kind of figure out you know what's best and some some areas it's it's going to be easy to get that assessment to come in and then some other areas you may need to have some conversations and training first before you get that assessment and, and kind of set the groundwork and preference what's getting ready to happen uh, so people are prepared and and so much of our roles is is based around trust especially with the relationships between us and central office or board of directors, the last thing you want to do is have an incident where it comes out in the wash or the debrief that the director or the CIO knew that this was an issue and hadn't taken action on it. That that trust is damaged and probably damaged for long term. If not, you know, you're looking for another job kind of scenario. Um, That's that's right what happened at, at one of the larger school districts in, in the country, right? They, they, they had an assessment. They sat on the assessment. It wasn't shared. They got breached from the time they got assessed before they could take any action and share the risk with anybody else. And during the cleanup of the breach, one of the reporters in, in, in that news field was doing digging and learned that they had an assessment. We're sitting on all of all of this information that detailed the risk that they had, which was exactly how they were exposed. And it created, it took a really bad situation because let, let's be honest and let's be frank right up front, whether you've got risk or not, somebody coming in and attacking your network is, is an act of violence against that school district. Yeah. It's, it's an intentional act. It's, it's, it, we're victim blaming if we're saying the school's at fault for somebody attacking their network. Now we should do what we can to protect it. But again, they took a bad situation where they've been attacked and violated and made it worse around because they knew where the risks were at. So, okay. I know we're getting way off topic here, but that <laughs> that's okay. That No, that's okay. Um, let, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, when you have this assessment or when you when you get your hands on this re- this report that's been produced by a third party outside entity how how do you go about or how does the district go about marking that report as confidential or should they go about mar- marking that report as confidential it, by a, by an official board action so that it can't be freedom of information or sunshined um, what what's you guys' take on that what's your thoughts on that yeah, you know, for ours, for us, um, our, our general counsel office does a really good job of slapping uh, attorney-client privilege on it. Okay. Um, and that in our state of Minnesota, that usually covers us, right? So we don't have to share out from, um, you know, a public re- uh, records request. Um, so if we get to a situation like that, we're pretty good. We don't do it as a standard um, to not share that information. But if it ever became a situation where um, some information that necessarily we did, weren't looking to get out, um, you know, we would probably take that that approach to have yeah. that uh, attorney client privilege put on that. 
I mean, let's face it. That's how, if someone were to breach you or go about attacking you, that's the best method to do it. And that's definitely not something that you would want Sunshine or Freedom of Information Act requested um, by by anyone in the public, let alone a, a threat. Well, not only that, too, it's tough to be a leader, right? I mean, because you you have your, your day-to-day stuff, you have everything going on in the school district, and, you know, you're still um, supposed to maintain your full workload, right? Sure. And you're dealing with little resources, and you're dealing with a lot of work, and it's tough that, you know, it is, it's a shame that we, you know, some leaders get the raw end of the deal for it, but... Um, you know, it's it's a it's a tough uh, tough place to be in a tough position to be in where you got a report, you need to do something with it, but you already have six other projects. And right. even if you do go and talk to your superintendent important, they they still may not prioritize. And as Don mentioned, you know, sharing a risk may still be good, but at the end of the day, right. it still may not it still may not mitigate but what will happen, you know. So you know, I, I, I just it's tough being in the public sector sometimes because you have little resources. You don't necessarily have all the time to remediate and do everything that you need to do. But it's expected for you to do that. And then if you don't, in some places, you're penalized for it. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's made it particularly challenging, that issue. Like we have the same great client relationship or relationship with our legal chief legal, where if, if this came up as a FOA or freedom of information request, they would say, no, we don't have to share it. But it's been making it difficult for us to get it, this information to the board, because the way public public meeting laws in Oregon, it it, it does not live in a category that falls under executive session so we can't do it there so then it has to be a public meeting um and so or we have to do it one board member at a time or slices of board members that don't create a quorum right for them to be able to receive the information and that's been a huge challenge i I know there's some work in other states where they're they're trying to um, buffer for at least the public entities this because the damn thing's a playbook on how to break exactly um Here's the five easiest ways you can get into their network. Go. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so one of the things that uh, I'm thinking about in my head is you, you just talked about a four to six month engagement with an outside vendor. I mean, this is costly to start. We're not talking about a pen test. We're talking about a deep level engagement with staff across the organization. Yeah. How, how do we, I mean, how do we even just approach that cost because we're talking with large districts here and a lot of our listeners are coming from small schools, small districts. What are we talking about ballpark figures here? Don, you want to start? Well, our, our, our assessment, which I felt was, I'm very happy with, um, contact me offline. Anybody who's interested in who we use because our national company did a great job and was very personalized. And it was less than six figures. It, it, it wasn't as much as you would think for six months of work and the deep dive they went into and I know I say that from a district that has some resources and for a school district of 5,000 students, that's still a, a big mark. But I don't think uh, we take enough advantage of our BOCES or ESDs or regional service centers um, that we should be focusing on. And we're starting to see, hopefully, out of all of the work that's come out of the pandemic and the federal funds around this and some of the awareness at the state or at the federal level to start funding some of those state-based 
SOCs and cyber resource centers where they could do that. I know in Oregon, we've got a bill that's being pushed through the legislature right now. And the first thing that they would be doing is talking about, all right, all of our public entities, we need to be getting some baseline testing done on all of these. That's not going to be comprehensive assessment, but external pen testing can lead you to a lot of great protections that are that are fairly low-hanging fruit and not egregiously expensive to solve by 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 some simple remediations it's the harder to get to the the higher impact um harder to attack things that this larger assessment will give you yeah you know don has a good point the other thing too is you can always do an rfp right i mean that's what the rfp process is really is about you know making sure that you have good requirements and then you go in you shop around and hopefully get the best price um, you know, contact me too as well. We lo- use a local security company and uh, our risk assessment was around 40 grand and our internal and external penetration test was around 30 grand. Interesting. Not as bad as I thought. I mean, no, you are larger districts. So you're actually looking at, you know, from what you've described, one to $2 a kid. Now, Mark, that's, that's, that's the company that we went with. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. You know, you're, 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 you know, Don has been in the game for a while. I'm sure you gentlemen have seen, you'll see different proposals. Right? Oh, yeah. Proposals up as far as three, dollars $400,000 oh, yeah. for risk yeah. assessment, right? So I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat and say, hey, you know, everybody's out there and around that, you know, less than six-figure uh, mark. But, you know, in actuality, um, proposals are going to be all over the place. But, you know, what I would tell any leader is, you know, um, figure out where, where, where the good companies are. Talk to other leaders, right? Don is right, right? Reach out, right? There's other leaders that already have these relationships. We're getting, hope we think we're getting pretty decent prices, right? So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Go ahead and reach out to some leaders that you know and just paying um, those who are part of Council of Great City Schools. I mean, you know, you can reach out to Council of Great City Schools. They'll get you plugged in. And then, you know, we'll, we, we, that's how we share resources. So, you know, the cost to me is nominal. Um, compared to, you know, some of the other stuff. But, you know, the the insight that you get, you need that insight in order to right. go in and do it. Because the other thing, you know, we talk about the remediation. Um, you know, once you get that report, you know, you you have a fiduciary duty to do something. Right. Point, right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, when Don talked about the situation about the, the one leader, yeah, that's probably why they got penalized because they got the report. And then at that point, they had a fiduciary duty. Even if they had a group working on it, that would have went far better far than nothing. Say, hey, yeah, yeah, somebody was working and we just didn't have enough time to fix it. But for you to sit on it and not do anything, yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's just what it is. And a lot of this stuff comes back to funding, too. You know, how many different mandates can come down from the feds or from a state government entity, but no no funding is associated okay. with it. So, you know, we're, we're all in that same boat when it comes to that, that kind of stuff. So, um yeah, but here's a, here's an excellent opportunity for our federal government to actually, if, if you want to make a huge change and shift for the schools, create a separate program. I'm I'm not going to be an advocate for saying let's use E-rate dollars for this because that we're we're already so dependent to maintain our infrastructures using E-rate dollars as it is. But there should be a separate fund, even if it's just for the the um, assessment piece of it let's let's not worry about because it's a deep well that we can get into you know do we need a sock do we need a virtual sock right, do we right. Need a monitor but even if we just said okay we're going to provide funds for up to two three four dollars per student in your district 
to get an assessment so you know where you need to go because we'll waste a whole lot more money doing a -a whack-a-mole approach of just trying this. There's lots of vendors that will sell you stuff that won't do a damn bit of good in your environment and won't solve or prevent anything. But with an assessment, you can target that. So we'll actually make the money back from the assessment by putting remediations, protections, and policies in place that actually mean something for your environment. So, yeah, Don, that's a really good point, man. I, um, you know, I'm with you too. I'm not a, a huge proponent of uh, using additional E-rate dollars, or, or from that standpoint, I think you know maybe Homeland Security, maybe NIST could probably get the money, and you know that'd be part of their educational training and stuff like that too, as well. But Don's right. You know, how do we get it? Because you know, when I really went back and looked at it, I said, you know, here's my capital expenditure for infrastructure. Oh my God. My security stuff is getting there too. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, when you look at a budget, it's like your budget is almost doubling because of the amount of security stuff, and, it, and it's tough too because you know um, I won't say that scare tactics are used, but scare tactics are used, right? And then now you have to yeah. go and try to find that money and go talk to people, and then you try not to use those scare tactics, but unfortunately, right. it just comes around that. So I think the industry is has kind of sprung up pretty quickly. I think there's a lot of companies out there, like Don mentioned. Some of them are just not going to give you what you need in order to be able to support the stuff that you need for your particular program. So be careful around that. Uh, if you have questions, reach out to other news you may know that's already gone down this road um, so they can provide you some guidance. And then, two, you know, we do need federal funding. You know, E-Rate has been a great program to help us for infrastructure, but we do need some type of federal program for cybersecurity now because it's not going away. Right. No. Um, I, you know, Josh and Mark, you're probably seeing a lot of uptick of activities because, um your, the window, in my opinion, is kind of closing on some of these activities that are happening because the tools are getting better. People are getting smarter. More people are getting engaged or getting there. And then, you know, eventually, you know, the things that are happening today, yeah, there'll probably be new hacks that'll come out. But, you know, the window is kind of closing on some of the things that people are going to be plugging holes with. And once those holes are plugged. Right. You know, yeah. it may not be as many opportunities to go out and do the malicious activities that's happening today. Yeah, the, yeah. I the, mean, what you've described in terms of the cost of the of the assessment, we had a a, a breach a few years ago, or a, a, actually, it was just a phishing uh, issue, a payroll phishing issue that cost us what you've just described as the cost of the risk assessment we lost in a phishing attempt. So, wow, you know, I, with one incident, you've made up the cost of just the assessment alone. Let's take a second to talk about extreme networks. Extreme, you might see some of their ads for NFL stadiums. They're providing physical and wireless networking in some of the NFL stadiums and Major League Baseball stadiums. They are in Gartner's upper right-hand quadrant for infrastructure. They do switching. They do wireless. They do edge, routing, cloud computing, application delivery. If you are in the market for an infrastructure solution, or a wireless solution, or both. If, if it's that time for you to replace both your physical and wireless networking at the same time, why not give Extreme Networks a look? I think you'll be impressed. So let's say you get that assessment done and you're starting to form this committee. Who, who, need, 
who do you need to have on that committee or who are the key stakeholders? What other departments are involved? What other senior leadership from the district should be involved? That's um, come up in, before in different episodes, especially the last two episodes that we've done. And, and Don, you said it before we got started. This isn't just an IT problem. So who, who else do we need to include in this conversation when we're starting to work on building this cyber plan? I've been jumping a lot first. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it just depends, um, Josh and Mark. It depends on you know how your environment is structured, right? We have governance, so you know as part of our governance process, you know we have a way to get information communicated to other senior leaders in order and then inform them. So it's really going to just come down to it. Um, you know, I think um, Don and I had a conversation with uh, another leader. Actually, was. Um, uh, somebody from C, uh, Tom Ryan from CG, CGCS, and we had a conversation with one of the superintendents from another school district, and they didn't really have governance, right? So, but they had a model to be able to go and have leaders connect to the superintendent, be able to share information and share information with the board. So it's really depending on your environment, how things are set up, whether you have governance, or if you don't have governance, and then being able to come out. Um, the, the one thing that I would suggest is that you want to be able to take the technical speak out of it. And you need to put more in layman's terms. So the folks that you're talking to, don't, they don't get the deer in the headlight look and, and trying to figure out what you're talking about. Right. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I stress to all leaders. You really have to take the layman's terms out of it and really have to, you know, um, get it to the point to uh, good materials where they can clearly understand where you're coming from. And that to me, I think if you spend more time on that, the mess, it's easier to sell the message and get the message across. Then to come out and say, oh, yeah, I just had this assessment because the assessments and, and, and Donna tell you, they're very technical to a certain degree. Right. And you have to be able to go and take that that jargon, the technical jargon, cybersecurity jargon and be able to translate it to something that's easily relatable. Um, you know, and I think when Don and I were working on the cybersecurity uh, presentation for CGCS, um, you know, we we put in, you know, captions. Right. We put in real world topics where. People could say, yep, I read that. I understand where you're coming from, right? So you want to be able to relate things from a cybersecurity standpoint. And that governance model is 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 a huge piece of this. If you have that or if, or if you don't, um, I'm working on it from an awareness model and starting with the why. Why, why do we need to pay attention to this? Um, it, it helps when we, you know, Portland Public Schools, we dodged a huge bullet uh, six weeks out of the job and through, through an email, a spoofed email, and it wasn't even spoofed very well because it, it just looked similar to the business companies emailed into a new payroll clerk or into a new accounts payable person. Excuse me. We have a massive bond infrastructure going. And we transfer wire transferred $2.9 million to to a wrong account. Right. So Ugh. being able to go back to that why of saying, hey, we never want to be able to transfer out $2.9 million to someone we're not certain it's supposed to go. Now, it does have a happy ending in that we were able to work with, because we had a close relationship with the bank, they were able to put a freeze on the account. For whatever reason, the bad actors didn't immediately transfer that out. Thank goodness for that failed uh, workflow on their part, because we were able to get all $2.9 million back, but lots of different districts haven't hit up with that. So here's a why. Now, does that clerk need to be deeply involved in the governance? I, I don't think so. But their boss and the people that can make decisions and define workflow need to have an awareness. They don't need to be at every meeting, but they need to know why we're doing this. 
Your unions need to be involved. We went, anybody who's gone through multi-factor authentication <laughs> or, or changing any of the workflow for any of your teachers. Um, and as a former teacher, I'm saying this with, with the greatest of care. We, we don't like that kind of change. We want open and flexible because it's a social business we work in. And it's all based on that relationship and doing things on the fly in the moment. Multi-factor authentication and those types of security protections don't often lend themselves to that. But so you've got to get your union on board and say, well, if we lose, what was it? One of the one of the school districts has paid $8 million to remediate a cyber security breach that happened four years ago. Very well known one, right? And they're they're still paying money and they're still suffering from that. If we if we lose eight million dollars to this, how many teachers' jobs is that going to be? Right. Um and getting them on board first. So the questions that always go to from our teachers to our union first, they can answer them. That has that has paid dividends for all of the work that we're doing in, in Portland to, to smooth over some of the bigger projects that we're trying to get to that that do have an adjustment in the workflow. I I was we had a similar experience with MFA. I was I had been pushing for it for our faculty for a while, hadn't really gotten much traction with it. I had gotten our our building administrations and our central office administration to kind of adopt it without requiring it, but I couldn't get the steam to get teachers to do it. Over the summer, a couple of years ago, we had a teacher fall for a fish, and, and similar to your AP story, um, it was a it was a poorly masked, you know, principal six four five two at gmail dot com. Um, she ended up falling for it and losing four hundred dollars of her own money. It it could have been much worse, but the high and low of it was we couldn't help her. But that was a great why in that conversation at the start of the school year of look. This happened. I sanitized the story. No one, no one knew who it was or what building it was from, but that was our why. Look, anyone can fall for this, and this person is is very well versed in technology, and it was a mistake. And everybody makes mistakes. We're going to now require this by the end of the semester, and 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 really, we had zero pushback because of that. It, I was I was very pleased with how that rolled out. Well, so we've all described in order to get these things done, you have to have a real world yeah. incident in order yeah. for it to happen. So uh, get hacked today and then you can roll these things out. That's one of the great things about being humans is that we can learn from other people's mistakes. So hold on <laughs> those, 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 those moments, not, not from a fear tactic standpoint, as Idris mentioned earlier, but from uh, we don't want to be in this boat. Um, well, I completely respect and love, I think, L.A. getting breached at the beginning of the school year. They've handled it as well as any school district that I've watched go through yeah. this yeah. across the country. They didn't shut schools down. They didn't lose massive amounts of service. And they And, and they were so transparent yes. with everything that was happening. Yes. Because of that, we all get to speak to that. And we all get to say, we don't want to have to go through that. We don't want to have to suffer that because – even though they did a beautiful job of it, it's still costing them money, time, resources, and trust in the community to be, I mean, that's just going to be one of the natural outflows of that. Let's, let's not be there. Let's, let's not do that. And, and it's, it's continuing to work. And you can do that in a way that doesn't strike fear in the hearts. But I think that only works for those people that aren't fully thinking through all of the ramification because it terrifies me too. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about the risk assessment, we've talked about how to, to gather speed and momentum for this. 
what now do we pivot towards in order to, what do we need to do in order to create a cyber plan to carry these things out? What does a cyber plan look like? Who are the people that are at the table? And what is, what is somebody in my shoes as CIO or tech director? What do I need to actually put on paper? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, cyber plan is basically your, it's kind of like a run book, if you want to think about it. And it's kind of, you know, giving you directions. Part of that cyber plan, I would include, um, you know, if there's a, a major outage or incident, who needs to be notified? Um, we have an incident management plan tied to our, our cybersecurity plan. Um, that way that if we do have a, a significant um, event from a cybersecurity, where that's either a natural disaster or, um, you know, we have a malicious activity, um, we have a playbook or runbook for our people to get in there. Um, we do have cybersecurity insurance. Um, we work closely with our cybersecurity insurance if we have issues. They can bring in additional resources such as uh, outside general counsel and um, companies that help you do a forensic investigation to provide additional guidance. Um, in that plan, you also, um, you know, if you don't have governance, you need to make sure you have a good communication plan in there. Um, communication up, out, up, down, and across your organization. Um, as part of a, a cyber good cybersecurity plan too as well, you just need to make sure that you have reoccurring hygiene or good cybersecurity hygiene. That's making sure, you know, we do a risk assessment every two years and we do the pen test every year. Um, you know, there's talks now to say, hey, maybe a pen test needs to happen uh, a lot more often, maybe quarterly, right? Because there's changes happening. Changes happen all the time in our environment. So, you know, again, just to recap, cybersecurity plans should really uh, list out who should be notified, um, should probably include an incident management plan. Um, you should have good cyber hygiene built into it um, on, you know, getting visibility into your environment around cybersecurity risk assessment and um, uh, internal and external pen tests. And then lastly, um, you, know, you know, people processes and technology, you want to include that into that as well. I mean, clearly, you know, be able to talk about, you know, you know, who do you have? What, what does the staff look like? Who's supporting what? And then what processes did you have? You know, if you go through a risk assessment, um, I think our last risk assessment, um, we had the company help us do our documents. I think we had 18 documents that came out of that risk assessment, right? Which is just basic templates that you need in your environment to say that you miss, you, you, uh, you may meet the uh, qualifications that NIST uh, put forth. Um, so those are, those are, to me, would be some of the key things that I would include in the cybersecurity plan. And I would echo all of that. And I would just add a couple other things that I feel are just as important as all of the other pieces of that is, what does your training program look like? How are you building that awareness and that understanding in your staff? Because you're only one fish away from a breach. Um, or you're only one found USB drive away from a significant breach, or you're only one shared password away. So how are you doing that? Because most of us only do any significant cybersecurity training for our custodians, our cafeteria workers, our all the people that, that could contribute to one of these once a year. So what does that look like? How are you building awareness throughout the year? And then the other big, huge piece is, is those policies. And I think that Idris, Idris hinted at that is, you know, the documents that they use to, to document all these things. But 
How are you going to handle password resets when somebody calls in? How are you going to handle request access to sensitive data or to sensitive machines? How do you onboard a new staff and how do you offboard them and make sure that their account is truly shut out? And what do you do with their shared documents? All of those policies that drive the, the day-to-day operations from inside IT have a huge impact on what your, your uh, threat matrix looks like out there to, to some folks. So really, a lot of the practices that you're doing right now uh, may be spot on, but they may not be documented. So getting those things on paper, um, identifying your weaknesses and and coming up with a plan to to correct those weaknesses. But then also, when there is a breach, when there is a problem, how do you respond to it? What is your reaction plan and communication? Yeah, uh, Mark, I would say the best defense for short-term memory is to write it down. Well, and... <laughs> And it helps with, we, we all have changing environments. And if you're having to recreate the wheel every time leadership shifts, um, that's a huge gaping hole in, in your protection program. Yeah. So. You know, and, 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 you know, Mark and Josh, we haven't really talked a lot about technology, um, but, you know, um, technology is a, plays an important role, right? You know, and I, I do encourage leaders to spend some time um, learning about the technologists out there. You know, Don brought up a really good point. There's some technologies that's not going to do much for you, but there's some really good technology that's going to probably save your your, your butt if if things come down come down to the wire. So I would I would spend a fair amount of time understanding architectures, understanding what technologies out there and what vectors you really need to do. You know, email is a big thing, right? You know, we have an email gateway protection, right? What we found out is that you know really multi-factor is probably going to solve a lot of our email issues that we have too as sure. well, right? So. Just, just really understanding the uh, technology because the landscape is changing, you know, and that, you know, infrastructure changes, but it changes a lot slower than uh, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, I mean, there's always something new popping up every year. Um, there's there's new things that you need to know about cybersecurity. It's just a, a really quick moving environment, and you really do need to stay on top of it in order to stay ahead of the game. Don, you said something a minute ago, and my my mind's kind of been fixated on that since then you were going through the the potential ways that you could have an issue and and you said one of the things you said was a found usb drive and my mind at first went to yeah you know i know my teachers save things to usb drives and if they lose a drive that contains pii on it that's bad but then it's like oh wait was Don talking about finding a USB drive in the parking lot and plugging it in and then something moving? Like both of those things are horrible. Yes. They, they, those are those are two very specific scenarios that have both woken me up at 343 in the morning. Yeah. Think, oh, my gosh, we've got no protections against that because we a lot. We're, we're still in. I'm not going to say that out loud. <laughs> Now I'm going to find all of these USB drives in the parking lots outside of our school. Yeah, so you know that. So we won't focus on that part of the question, but like <laughs> encrypting media, removable media devices like yep. that. So you know, I I know in my department, I my guys and I, we encrypt the drives that we plug into our machines because it invariably is going to have something on it that is going to need to be protected um, if it has to live on that drive for a period of time. What, help me kind of wrap my head around not necessarily requiring that for faculty, but a strong recommendation to do that for faculty with, with that why with it, of course. But, like, really, that should be kind of a standard, don't you think? Or am I, am I miss, kind of missing the boat here? 
Well, I, I think there's there's a couple pieces to that. It depends on um, how responsive and how much you can get in front of your staff. If you can talk and, and create a deep understanding of PII for your staff, um, there's potential that says, you know what? It's okay to put a lesson plan. It's okay to put yes. your teaching resources, all of those things, but don't put anything that references a student's name or anything. You may get away with that, but it only takes one, right? Yeah. So the, other, the conversely is if there's a strong chance that they're going to have access to large amounts of students' personal data, then yeah, it, it damn well better be encrypted or, or they shouldn't be using it. And which one of our focuses has been use the cloud resources we've made available for you. Right. It's correct. It's encrypted by default on the, on the way to and from and sitting there at rest. So please use that. And it's far more convenient than losing the damn thumb drive that you spent $4 and 79 cents at Walmart to get because right. that's high quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, years ago, right after I got to my, my current district, um, I kind of floated the idea of disabling mass media storage devices or removable uh, storage devices. And no, that just the rumor of that got out. And it, it, I, that was a quick, I understood where things stood really, really, really quickly. Um, yeah, but, but I think encrypting those drives, that needs to be a conversation. To be yeah, yeah and, and Josh, to your point, you know, um, you know, I, I, I take a slightly different approach. Um, areas and vectors that I can't necessarily make a change with, you know, because it's kind of similar in our environment where, you know, you want to shut that down and people are like, no, no, yep. no, right? Yep. Um, you know, it, a savvy leader goes out and says, okay, well, I still need some type of protection, right? Um, and that's where the architecture comes in, right? Do I have the tools that if this situation comes up, you know, do I have an environment where, um, the tool will see it and it will send it to a sandbox. Sure. Explode it, see what happens. If it's malicious, we'll tell the other two to block it. Yeah. <laughs> and but, then, but, you know, I'm in a, a much better space. And not saying that's going to work for everything. Right. Um, but those are some of the things that you can look at doing. I'm really curious how you handle that from the other side of that scenario, that found thumb drive that has a bunch of PII on it that's now no longer in your control. Right. How do, how do you, I'm curious how you protect against that. What, what are your steps you're taking? Because I want to learn. Yeah, you know, uh, for us, you know, we've, we've been very, very, we've kind of educated, but we've had a lot of, of people really look at, you know, PII, be aware of PII in our environment, and also make sure that, again, we're using cloud services to, to manage that information. And then we have, uh, we do have data governance. And part of our data governance, we do have uh, data sharing um, agreements. Uh, in order to share information outside of it. So, you know, our staff is pretty much aware of that and they, they know that. Um, we also have various methods to share that, you know, secure FTP or other means to share uh, encrypted data. Um, so, you know, our, our, our district is a little bit more savvy around that. So, you know, I'd be really surprised if somebody has a USB at this point and, you know, a thumb drive that comes up. Now, what we do have still occasionally is we do have um, cameras, and we do have photos and stuff like that and external, some external drives running around around that, um, which you have a picture. You may yeah. be able to tie that to PII. You may not be because it, you don't have all the pieces for PII, but that's, that's probably one of the things that does keep me up is just, Jay, what are we doing with that, that camera? And we have an external drive. What are we actually storing it there? But for the most part, um, you know, and then, Don, that brings up another good point. There's tools out there to take you around, you know, data exfiltration, right? Um, you know, 
Um, but it's tough too as well because outside of PII, we're a public entity. Somebody can make a public request right. for a day. <laughs> Well, and and a lot of that conversation too, directory inf- information is a thing. Like yep. you, you know, a kid in a getting their picture taken and their name being in the paper. Okay, directory information is a thing that's allowable. So yep. it's definitely kind of one of these weird nebulous lines, you know, squiggly line that you have to walk. Um, but I think you have to pay attention to there. There is a very real potential for PII to be on a on a kindergarten teacher's USB drive in her classroom that may end up walking off one day you know like that's that's a threat that you need to think about and and how you're addressing that threat um that's, so that's can gonna, I, go ahead can, mark, I pu- yep. can I push back a little bit though around no that. mark oh sorry <laughs> how do you decide if the USB drive is your biggest threat in other words how do you know where to start? You've got your assessment, you've got a cyber plan, and you start with this USB drive that you might find in a parking lot, or do you find do you start with your email gateway? Do you you know MFA? Where do you start? The beautiful thing about a quality assessment is they will give you the ten to fifteen most critical issues that you need to solve right now. And so that's the other element of a roadmap that I don't think either one of us addressed is or or a cybersecurity plan is. An element is that roadmap. What are we fixing next? And what are our priorities to remediate and, and make stronger? And so that assessment, we used our assessment that we did last year, and it's our two-year roadmap. And it's got the most critical, and then it's got short-term fixes and near-term fixes, and then long-term. We won't get to those other ones before we do another assessment because the critical list that we need to do right now is, is long enough it takes people time. It takes process. You have to have meetings. You have to smooth it over with the unions that you're going to make this shift or that shift. And here's how this workflow is going to change. That's what that assessment provides for you. You you get to determine where you plug that in into the roadmap and what is the most critical for you based on resources, based on appetite, based on um, you know time. And if you're down breaks up. Oh, yeah, that brings up a really good point. You know, with the cybersecurity risk risk assessment, a good risk assessment will tell you where your criticals are, but we'll also call call out which which vulnerabilities you should really focus on. Right, uh, ours have criticals, they have highs, they have mediums and lows. Criticals and highs we usually get to is the mediums and lows. Um, sometimes we struggle to try to get to, but we know the most risk is around the criticals and highs. So again, back to that security risk assessment, working with the local company. Um, going to hopefully it's not too expensive, right? And really just getting that visibility, but also guidance. Like the risk assessment is just is to me, it's it's key, you know, and, and, and it gives you not only the visibility, but also kind of gives you some guidance. And then if you're working with a really good cybersecurity company, they're saying they'll be there with you. And they'll, you know, and part of your security risk assessments uh, are the ones that we've gotten, um, they give you um ideas on how to remediate. So that we're not sitting there in the dark trying to figure out, uh oh. Well, some of my people are trained up and some of my people are not, but they don't really understand how to remediate that, right? So right. they include um, potential remediation um, um, processes and steps that you can take. And then they're available if you have additional questions on how to remediate. So, you know, again, um, that cybersecurity risk assessment to me is just critical just for so many different points um, for any leader um, to have. I, I worked with a network admin for a period of 10 years one time that 
we had a cyber assessment done although at that time this was years ago it wasn't called a cyber assessment but it was an outside entity that came in and did a, a security assessment for us and he made a rule after this assessment that he would not buy a product that the security assessment company sells so like if, if the security the cyber security company come in comes in and does the assessment and then magically tells you that you need to buy this product that they oh just by chance sell he's like no we're, we're not we're not doing that no no that's so, funny that's yeah. a good rule yeah, yeah it, it was it was yeah. pretty it, he was mad at the time but it was looking back at it it was it was pretty comical um we've we've taken a considerable amount of your time tonight gentlemen we really appreciate you being on with us and helping us kind of wrap our heads around this nebulous term that that is super hot right now a cybersecurity plan or a cyber plan i think uh as people listen to this they'll have a much better feel as to what needs to happen um and really it comes down to that assessment you need that assessment to start that foundation to know where you need to plug your gaps and your cracks and your foundation um any any final closing thoughts tonight yeah again i think um using using organizations that you're familiar with to tap other leaders that have already gone down that road right you don't need to reinvent the wheel um, reach out and there's other leaders that'll be more than willing to share information, just like Don mentioned, I mentioned today. Um, so don't, 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 don't suffer in silence, reach out, talk to somebody and, and get the help that you need. But my biggest takeaway in, in all of this is you, you can't boil the ocean. None of this work's going to go away. None of this was, was, was created overnight. So it's not going to be solved all, all overnight. So figure out what you can do, do that well and move on to the next thing because there's always going to be something else. And don't beat yourself up over what you can't get to while you're getting to something and making it as rock solid as you can, because it's 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 a slog, it's a process, it's never going away. It's not going to not be a need someday. You're never finished. So take it at a pace that, they, that you can consume. At least we know our work will be there when we get there in the morning. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it will. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And, and both of you are releasing a, a white paper together through the Council of Great City Schools that will be available to non-member districts as well, both member and non-district. So we'll be sure to plug that when it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and really excited to see what that uh, that has to say. So thank Me you too. so much for coming out tonight. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.